מתוכן ואיסטפקוס, הם הכלולים לכל המידויס טויבייס, והם הפך תעבו וחמדו. ועיקר הכל הוא הביטוחן, ומי שהוא מחוץ לביטוחן, אין תירוס ומזכרים ביודוי. This is the Vilna Gaon speaking, and he says that there are two states of being which are the background, the theme that carries through all good midas. And they are the opposite, these two traits of two bad midas, which he calls tavo, desire, and chemdo, wanting. And bitochin, which is um, faith, security, in where you are, is the essence. Misha the a person that doesn't have that faith, ain't His Torah won't last in his hands. Won't be able. Won't be sustainable. <coughs> so I'd like to explore this in our next stage, the second stage of growth, when we are dealing with the idea of. We're dealing with the idea of. Um, of in the second stage of growth, we're dealing with the idea of Taiva. And when we spoke about Taiva, we said that the grades of opposition they are towards the purpose of life, which is the connection to Hashem, start off at the most basic level as being what we call afar, which is dust, where a person doesn't have the ability to free himself from the shackles of his own laziness. The, the power that suppresses the latent potential within is so powerful that he can't break out of it, and the first stage of growth is triumphing over, triumphing over that hold that the power of afar, of dust, has over us and starting to um, move out of the control of the heaviness of our physical bodies. And then the next stage is once a person has progressed, of course it's not always sequential and there are many different components to who we are and our complicated desires and drives, but to simplify things, the next stage of development that needs to occur is that the pull that a person has is towards desire. And we've spoken about, um, for the last few sections, first sessions, about what taiva is. And to sum it up, taiva is living life on the surface, desire. When the appeal that acts as a stimulus for my drive to pursue it is a visible and available according visible and available to the eye to the most superficial glance um, 
not specifically the eye, but it means the most external part of the item. That's what drives me towards it. Whether it be the taste of food, which is not the internal part of the food. The taste of food is the externality that's a shell of the food. The internality of the food is its nutritional value, the life force that it has in it. So when a person pursues food for desire, he's not pursuing the internality, he's not pursuing the essence, he's pursuing the shell. The taste is the shell of the food, whether it be in his um, lust for members of the opposite gender, where he focuses on the superficial presentation, the looks, the way the body is fashioned, and not on the internality of who the person is, in terms of their personality, where they're coming from. So the living in the world of desires is living in a world which is externally orientated. It's living on the world where I perceive the superficial layer that coats the world, and I overlook anything beyond that. <coughs> and to counter that, the Gon surprisingly says, a person needs to have bitochen. A person needs to have faith in Hashem. I don't understand necessarily why that assurance, security, in the notion and the connection to a creator would stop that kind of chasing after my desires. I would say that the two are, are independent. You know, I can have a person that I believe very strongly, but I'm prone to desires. Why? What do you want from me? I'm, I'm, I'm a believing person, but I'm not, I'm not superhuman. So if I have the human desires, and, uh, and I also believe. One wouldn't think that one excludes the other. You, you follow it seems kind of intuitive that desire seems to be the pursuit of my own physical pleasures. And uh, faith seems to be what I understand is the way the world works. I wouldn't think that there's a relationship, certainly not that if I have one, I won't have the other. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought I can be a very strong person who has bitochen, has emuna, has trust in the Creator. And at the same time, unfortunately, I'm susceptible to my desires. And the God says, no, they're opposites. If you have one, you can't have the other. Now, that's very strange. So what I'm suggesting is that... What positive? If you have one, you cannot have the other. A person can't be, have bitochen and also simultaneously be pursuing his desires. Now, the reason why you're frowning at me is because you believe you have both. I understand that. You're a very believing person, yet you like to chase off your desires. I'm, 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 I'm with you. So obviously what it means is that the emunah and bitochen that you have is not what he's talking about. Because if you have what he's talking about, you would not be chasing after your desires. So what you think bitochen is, is not what he says bitochen is. Because his bitochen is the opposite. Our bitochen, I'm saying you, I'm just, I'm just picking on you because I'm cruel, sadistic. The... the, the the bitochen that, that I have is it's like this, yeah, I believe in God. I'm, I'm, I'm a faithful Jew. But it doesn't push me to to do, to, to dismantle my, or to dismiss or to disengage from my physical desires. Yeah. Just, is it all or nothing, according to God, or the level of something? 
it's generally it's generally not all or nothing. In other words, the more bitachon you have, the less taiva you have. The more taiva you have, the less bitachon you have. Yes, this is like Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, he lost his desire. I have no idea. Did he? It looks like it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then this would even be like the from desire, like for connection to Hashem. Even that in itself is a desire that no. doesn't be talking about, or that. Uh, that's that's a, that seemingly is a different point of discussion. Okay. Over here, we're discussing the, the, the he <coughs> says taiva and chemdo. The way he defines early on taiva and chemdo is taiva is a desire for physical pleasures, and chemdo is a desire for luxury, excessive um, materialistic attributes, accessories. So when a person wants, you know the. He wants more than is needed for his own day-to-day tasks. He wants something which is more luxurious. So that pull, that drive for material, excessive material comfort. So that comes from Chemda. And the desire for the indulgence and physical pleasures comes from Taiva. And opposite um, the... The, the two opposite traits is opposite the desire for material wealth is bitochen and the opposite of the lasting is what's called his stapkus person that's satisfied with what he has it's maspik, it's enough for me I, I don't need any more which both are subcategories of connection to Hashem but we we still struggling to find why they why they're connected in terms of the mechanic. Yes, Austin. So say we use the case of food as the example yes. where we have taste and nutritional value. Correct. And we get to a point where we're actively seeking out nutritional value over taste. And then you find something that's you know, in like the case where they meet both um, parameters, it's nutritionally valuable and it tastes good. Are you supposed to actively steer away from that as well? No, definitely not. That's great. That's fantastic. It's brilliant. I- anytime when you eat food, you meant to, the idea is that you meant to, ideally what you should do is you should um, eat the fruit for its essence and then the accessory becomes an enhancer becomes the in other words the experience becomes pleasurable but it goes towards a particular goal as opposed to creating a goal out of the pleasure as we've discussed previously correct correct yeah okay Joe um, this desire for luxury good seems subjective in a way um, what you might desire as your norm would be, I guess, um, controlled based on your income, right? So what one guy might consider luxurious is the norm for another another guy. So is there uh, is there an objective line? Well, I, don't th- I don't think there is an objective line. I think you're right. It depends on where you're from and standards of living and mm. period of history that you're in. 
But the point I want to make is that there's something very difficult to grasp over here. And that is, what is the relationship between the two? On the one hand, you've got the pleasures of the flesh and the comforts of the creature comforts pulling me. And opposite that, you have desire. No, opposite that, I would say, sorry, opposite that, you have bitachon, opposite that, you have, I don't know, self-control. No. Gvura. Might. He doesn't say that the opposite of taiva is self-control. He says the opposite of taiva is something else. It's being content. Being content. The opposite of trying to accrue beyond my necessity, things, accessories, stuff. The opposite of that is I trust in Hashem. Why is it the opposite? I can trust in Hashem. So uh, this is something which I think I'm going to explore and I, I would suggest is whether um, where the mystery lies in terms of how we define Bitochen and how do we define Histapkus, those two traits that the Goran hails as the, the master traits. What are they about? Um... So what I'd like to suggest is that these two traits of Istapkus and Bitochen are the opposite traits to Taiva and Chemda. Taiva and Chemda take an approach to the world that the shell that covers over the reality of existence is looked upon as the reality. When a person lusts after the desires of the flesh, he's not doing it for, in the case of a person that goes after the woman because of her beauty, he's not doing it because of who the woman is. He's doing it because of what the woman looks like. Her appearance, the shell, when a person looks to, for the sake of um, creating the most comfortable environment that he could possibly have with luxury after luxury, he's coating his life, the essence of life, with a covering. That's what life is about. That's something which accommodates, should facilitate. When it becomes an end in its own right, and that becomes an end in its own right, so then you're missing out what the world is about. The world isn't about that. The world is about using that for something else. The world's not about having a comfortable couch. If you are doing something productive, and a comfortable couch is going to help you to recuperate and give you an environment which is healthy and pleasant, then it's an amazing thing to have. There's nothing wrong with having a fast car if you need to travel far distances. But if you don't need to travel far distances, and the only reason you have the fast car is because it's a fast car, then you've missed the point. Again, you've taken the skin and you've said it's a fruit. You've taken the peel and you've said it's a fruit. The, the fruit is the essence of what you're doing things for. In, the case, in Austin's case, there's nothing wrong with having a great tasting fruit. But you have to realize the reason why you're eating is for nutrition, so you can generate life for it, so you can do what you need to do in this world. It's not because eating itself is a recreational activity. 
Eating is not recreational. Eating is functional. And the minute you switch something from its function to an end in its own, a recreation in its own, right? So then, so then you've distorted. What have you done? You've moved your perception of life from being multidimensional to being one-dimensional. That's where life exists. It exists on that surface. And no one wants that. Everyone wants a deeper kind of life. People are striving for more. So why are we satisfying ourselves with that? So what I think happens is as follows. That when a person lives life on the surface, he also lives himself on the surface. He becomes consumed by his own physical appearance. He becomes consumed by the things that he does. He comes consumed by the way he manifests himself in this world. The shell of himself. And when you become consumed with the shell of yourself, then you lose your betochen. You lose your connection to Hashem because you're too over-concerned about, but what will he think if I, and what will be, and what if I can't control, and but this is going to happen, and then, the, and you become consumed by this living life on the surface and not understanding that there's an inner core to life. So when you become consumed in Taiva, you also lose your sense of self at the same time. You lose your sense of a deeper sense of self. There's a deeper inner person. That's, that's, that's untouchable. That's pristine. That's, that, getting to that level is the level of Bitochen. The level of Bitochen is, regardless of how the world presents itself, I see that there's something beneath the surface which is good. Understanding we talking myself is regardless of how I present myself, I see there's something beneath the surface which is good. When I can relate to myself, when I can dig deep inside myself, uh, let me give an example of this, why, why I want to say that this is why it's tied in. In order to be able to achieve certain objectives, a person needs to have instruments to do so. If you want to you want to build a, a yacht and you don't have the wood or the material for the sails and you don't have the hammers and the nails and the saws that you need to build it, you can, you can want to build it but you can never actually do it. You need a tool to do it. You need, you need a key to do it. Once you have the key, then you can affect it. So, midas ala kalim. Now, imagine... If I would like to describe to a person, I need a key for my midas. For example, if I'd like to describe to a person um, the colors of the rainbow and the person is blind, I could, I could easily describe it to them. I could say, you know, there's a range of colors and red is a fiery, passionate color and yellow is a bright color and um, blue is a calm and tranquil color, but they'll have no clue what I'm talking about. When I say those words, they're not going to think, they're not going to see red in their mind's eye. They're going to hear words. They can't experience it. If we want to experience bitochen, meaning if you want to experience a deeper layer of self, we can't live life on the surface because then we deprive ourselves of the perception of self that's required for us to bitochen. It's almost as if we are blind to that fact. If I speak to you about Bitochen and you're engaged in a world of Taiva, I speak to myself about Bitochen and I'm engaged in a world of Taiva, so then I, I have no idea. The, the words can't help me. 
in order for me to experience depth, once I've experienced depth, I experience it internally and externally. In order for me to experience shallowness, I experience it internally and externally. So when a person's into desire, then he'll have complicated issues with his self-esteem. Because his relationship to self is going to be on the surface value. <coughs> There's going to be no intrinsic sense of being. Because he responds to the surface. He's developed a utensil, a mechanism, a tool of living, which focuses on how things are, appear, how they appear, not how they are. So when I'm into the world of appearances, whether it be the appearances of people, the appearances of myself, so therefore that's, that, that's, that's how I process reality. So when I turn the eyes of appearances onto myself, so then I realize that, well, maybe I need to change my way I speak or my clothing because I can't, I can't deal with myself on any level that's deeper. But when I am able to respond to world of Bitochen, it means as follows, that when I see the appearances, they don't fluster me. One of the traits of Bitochen is when things which happen which are unexpected and seem to be not in my favor, I understand that underneath, this, underneath the core they're all only for my own good. Why don't we read? Why don't we read Hallel on Purim? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Why do we celebrate it with the reading of Hallel? We do it in all other miracles. Pesach, we read Hallel. Sukkot, we read Hallel. We read Hallel. Hanukkah, we read Hallel. So why do we read Hallel? It's a prayer of thanksgiving when we say from a miracle. What happened to Purim? We didn't see it when we saw it after. So the Gemara says that the Megillah is the Hallel. The Megillah is the Hallel. So the explanation that I heard, which I think is very apt, is that, okay, so the Megillah is the Hallel, but on Pesach you say Hallel twice. So say the Megillah and say Hallel. Why, why, why do you say the Megillah as instead of the Hallel? Because the Megillah and the Nase of Purim is a different fundamentally from the other Nisim. Other miracles, what happened was the Jewish people were in a state of extreme trouble and they needed to be rescued. And there was the extreme state of distress which followed by, by extreme salvation. In the nays of Purim, there was never a case, there was never a situation where the trouble itself wasn't also part of the redemption. The problem was also the solution. Yes, the problem was also the solution. The, there's no stage of the miracle that, that Vashti, Vashti is executed. <laughs> that's a problem. But that's also part of the solution. Do you understand? So every stage of the game. So the halal is the only way you can accept the miracle of Purim. The only way you can actually celebrate it is by doing something which is akin to the way the miracle occurred, which is through these subtle steps whereby what appeared to be the bad is also the good. And that's why in, in, in the time of Mashiach, we will continue reading the Megillah. Because the time of Mashiach is we have the hindsight to look back and see all those things that we thought were terrible were in fact incredibly fantastic and for our own benefit. And that's really what the Megillah teaches us. The Megillah teaches us that all these events which are so, so horrible, but they actually were all going in the same direction. Where did they go to? They came to a complete reawakening, a renaissance in our connection to our Baruch so everything which which seemed to be terrible, first of all, it was it was all beautifully designed to bring about a deeper connection. So when a person gets to 
to the stage, stage of Mashiach, we'll be able to look back at our life and look at all those terrible, terrible hard times which you thought were absolutely miserable. And we'll say, oh my gosh, okay, okay. That's why they, oh my gosh, that's brilliant the way it was timed. Don't you, always, don't you, don't you love reading the Megillah on the morning? It's so much, it's so much for me more enjoyable than reading it at the night. Because reading it at the night, I've, the, the, the story is not fresh in my mind. But reading it the next morning, when the story is fresh in your mind, what happens is you anticipate what's going to happen next. And in the deepest tragedy, you're completely confident because you know what's going to happen next. Correct? You know. So, you know, that's why it's quite joyous. You see, you see Haman getting appointed. You know, you see him coming to the Queen's party. Now, if I would be going through the plot sequentially... So when Harmon comes to the Queen's party, I'd be really nervous. Harmon all of a sudden is being invited by Esther Amalka to come and, I mean, maybe she's turned sides, who knows? It's not clear. But now I see, and he comes back and he boasts to his wife and to his family, says, look where I am! And you, the more, the happier is, the more ironical the twist in the story is going to be. So you only know that the second time through, because you know what's going to happen. So we read Megillah twice to understand that, yeah, but that's our lives. That's our lives. And Megillah is a, is a mirror of our lives. Our lives are exactly the Purim story, unfolding constantly, and absolutely every single thing is a part of this incredible machination which is bringing us to a point. It's trying to get us there. So now, when a person responds to life in that way, it means that you don't focus on what the surface of the events are but you say there's something deeper going on underneath so when you do that looking out through bitachin so then you do that in yourself as well you see the you see the basically if you can see Hashem in the world you can see Hashem in yourself if you don't see Hashem in the world which Taiva and Chem just stop you from doing so then you can't see Hashem in yourself so the second level it was quite easy for us to put, put across why the first level of offer stinted spiritual growth because when a person has entire internal potential suppressed obviously he can't he can't connect the second growth which wasn't as easy to understand is when a person's driving driven by his desires why does that obstruct his connection to Hashem now it becomes clearer because being driven after you as desires isn't the point the point is how you processing world which level are you living on when you're living in desires you perforce are living on the level of life which is on the surface. When you're on the surface, you're on the surface. You're on the surface of yourself as well. When you're on the surface of yourself as well, so then your life is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Your self-esteem is a roller coaster. Everything goes wrong. And when you're able to penetrate beneath the surface, so then there's nothing to worry about in life. And there's nothing to worry about in terms of myself. I return to, to, to a level of self which is beyond all the rubbish. It's the essence. It's the core. And when you reach the core, so then there's really nothing to worry about. I'm not saying that you don't need to work, and you don't need to strive, and you don't need to improve, and you don't need to change. But there's a fundamental sense of everything's good. Fundamental optimism. There's a fundamental optimism. It's almost as if... You can express this when you come to do a mitzvah. 
So the mitzvah has many, many components to it. The first is the act of the mitzvah. Many times the mitzvah has an accompanying words. And then there's the thought, the intention. And then there's a desire to do the mitzvah. And then there's a joy experienced by the mitzvah. It's five levels. There's five levels to the performance of a mitzvah. There's the, there's the act you physically do it. Put on your tefillin, let's say. There's the words you say. You'd say the bracha before you put in the tefillin. You declare, you verbalize the mitzvah. The intention that you are that you have intention to fulfill the mitzvah to, that's your intention, that's your mindset. There's the desire that you want to, you want to do this. And then there's the joy of being given the ability to express yourself in this way that is the highest part of the mitzvah. So some people just start with level one and that's where they stop. They just robotically wrap the straps around their arm. I suppose they say the bracha, but sometimes they don't even understand what they're saying or they don't have intention. But if you're in a bit, a bit of a more astute, more mindful, so then the action is complemented by the words, which is further elevated by the thoughts, which is then deepened by the desire, which is then enhanced by the feeling of sympathy. But we have to discuss more about this later uh, as time has run out.